I'm going to just launch real fast. Take a turn to the book of Acts. I want to encourage all of you, for those I know this is not fashionable, or I don't know what the word is, to buy an actual Bible. I really mean that. You know, buy one, because electronics are great, but they've actually proven. How many people who knows, you don't know what scripture it is, but you know where it is on the page? Okay? You all know what I'm talking about? All right. Proven that when you read the Bible, an actual Bible, the links to your brain are far, far better. So I just encourage you, buy a Bible, bring a Bible. All right, we've been in Acts for a while, probably, I think this is our fifth week. Someone said, is he ever going to get out of Acts 1 and 2? I don't know, maybe not. We'll find out today. I want to encourage you, the reason I spent so long in Acts 1 and 2, I don't think we realize how extreme Pentecost was, how extreme the descending, the coming of the Holy Spirit to earth was for the people at that day. It was, everything shifted, even their perspective of God. You know, he was never revealed as Father. Everything changed. They had to move away from the law. We spent a while there because unless we see it from their perspective, unless we kind of go back into those days, how they thought, how they felt, what issues they were dealing with, what belief structures were completely shifting, and we don't we just don't see it. We read it so quick, but we don't actually see it and understand. And unless we see it like that, what I find happens is, and I've seen this for years, is that the book of Acts remains a story that we get excited about for others, but it doesn't, doesn't become real for us. It remains distinguishably separate from where the modern church is. Yeah? Every time we read it, well, like, that'll never happen. It remains separate because it's just this amazing story. But yet it's God's intention. It's God's intention for his bride. It's God's intention for his church. Amen. It just is. And so when we go to it with an understanding of everything that started to take place in their lives, in their hearts, in their minds, it shifts the way you read it, the way you understand it, the way you see it. It becomes personal. It becomes real. And so that's why we spent five weeks in the first two books. I wrote you, if we go with open hearts and with spiritual understanding, and we are willing to shift our stances, where we stand on certain issues, our preferences, our comforts. Oh, goodness, no. If you're willing to shift those things, then, and only then, will we remember that God has not changed, that he's the same, that the cross has not been emptied of its power. Jesus hasn't changed. Nothing's changed then we start to remember. And only then we also remember that, what did I write here, that the Holy Spirit coming to earth in a new dispensation has not changed and has never lessened. We have moved. And so we, we continually say, Lord, show us, teach us. However, as you teach on the book of Acts and as you look at it, it can become very discouraging to some people because you see this, this massive gap we have to understand that even the first 10 chapters of Acts are over about 10 years. So it's like reading a testimony book about a person. You read about Smith Wigglesworth or Keith Green or whoever you love, and you just as all the highlights. And you think, wow, it was like every moment, every day. Not really. We don't see the valleys. We don't see the daily life. We don't see the family meals. We don't see the fights between husbands and wives. We don't see that. We see the highlights. We see the moments. And so we can learn to, in a sense, rest in God and relax in God, but understand that there is a desire that he has, and it cost him everything to send the Spirit. And that Spirit actually begins to rule in a person. 
Pentecost really, really was everything. Last week we spoke about wading into the Spirit of God. You know, the baptism of the Spirit, I've been doing my best in, in God to try and break the boxes that we have, to try and smash the way we think about what it means to be baptized in the Spirit. So uh, I don't have the time to go back into it. I encourage you to go and listen to the last few weeks. But we have all this linear, like Western thinking, that's got to happen, and that's got to happen, and this has got to happen. And as you go through the book of Acts, it's just God wants to be God. And he wants to do it how, when, where, through whom he chooses. We say this to young people. I've seen many young people that desire to be used powerfully for God. It's just on my heart to say this. And it's a good thing. The Bible says eagerly desire the gifts. It's a good thing. It really, really is. I do woodwork when I can. I'd say I'm a woodworker. I don't know if that's true, but I, I try. And I'll never use a tool that I cannot again put down because then I'm limited to one hand. And God wants to use some people, but he waits for them to find a place of security in him so that when he puts them down to pick another one, they don't freak out. We have to understand that. God will use you for who he's called you and how he's... But then he'll, he's building something. He'll put you down and pick up another one. And if in the putting of the down destroys you in your heart and your mind, and what did I do wrong? And we have no understanding of righteousness and the covenant that we're under and grace and the kingdom, a bigger understanding of that it's his kingdom, not ours. Then it's very difficult for him to actually pick you up. Yeah? So it's good to be secure. It's good to know that it's not about us, it's about him. The Holy Spirit coming to earth, the way they understood it, I, I feel like I wish I could recap everything, but I cannot. They believed with all their heart that you could not be a Christian without that. In actual fact, Jesus said to them, do nothing until he comes. Do nothing. And everything changed. Everything shifted. We went over a little bit of this last week. They were always the people of God. They didn't understand Gentiles were coming yet in the first, up to the first eight, nine chapters. You see it in Acts 10. But we have to understand, friends, that they were saying, how can we be the people of God if the law is done? What do we do? How do we act? How do we live? How do we marry? How do we dress? Everything changed. And they said, it's through a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit to them was absolutely essential, absolutely primary. And there's this emphasis on the Holy Spirit that you see all through the book of Acts. Yet the emphasis is not to preach and teach the Holy Spirit. The emphasis, without him, you cannot do what God's called you to do. Without him, you cannot be empowered to live a Christian life. It's impossible. It's impossible. So to them, it was everything. The Bible calls it walking in the Spirit. I can call it obedience or surrender, which is what we're going to talk about today. But it's, you say obedience in a modern Western church, they think rules, legalism, and law. I, I don't know how we got there. Obedience is extremely exciting because it means you can hear. It means you're walking with the Lord. And the Bible says walk in the Spirit. And there's something very different to walking in the Spirit, like yeah, I'm in the Spirit, versus having the Spirit of God in me. John 7.37 says, Everyone who thirsts, come to me and I will give him living water to drink. And if he drinks this water, he will never thirst again. Yeah, you know the scripture. That's salvation. When Jesus came to the uh, disciples in John 20, verse 20 to 22, it says he came to the disciples and he said, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's them becoming saved, inbreathed Spirit of God. And he starts to shift and move and change things in your heart. 
But to have the Spirit of God rest upon you is a little bit different. And I'm careful to make that distinction because we get so boxed in it. Well, I'm saved and I'm Spirit-filled. It's not a title. It's a state of being. We have to understand that it's not I am or I am not. It's a state that you're in. And you can walk in a sense. We are called to walk and host a person. The word baptism is from a Greek word. It just means immersed. In fact, when I spoke to a, a person who was converted to Judaism many years ago, they said, and I know this might be a little bit uncomfortable for some of you, but when Jewish proselytes used to get, say, you know, a person who's non-Jewish becomes a Jew. Back in the day, they used to have to walk naked. A man would get completely naked with three other naked Jewish men and walk and wade into a river or something until they were completely covered. It's very interesting. Why? Genesis 2.25, they were both naked and felt no shame before the cross. So the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus has defeated sin and death, restored us like it was in the garden, and we can become naked in his presence and yet have his presence even though we still sin because Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. It's, a, it's an incredible thing. She was telling me that when she got baptized into being a Jew, she got saved later. She did the whole thing, right? She got saved later. She said they made them comb all the hair all over their body underwater. I mean, all of it. Open their mouth. Completely immersed. Spirit of God everywhere. And that's what it means to be immersed in God. That he has access to every part, every, every part of you. And he has authority over every part of you. Because he purchased you. He bought you. Not in a sense of a slave, but as a son. He removed the penalty of death over your life. It's an amazing truth. So we here baptized in the spirit and we have, well, this is and this and this and this. No, it's to be immersed. It's to be immersed in God. And you can wade into the river of God anytime you want. But as you go deeper and deeper, he's going to require certain things of you. There's a difference between the Old Testament law and commands. The New Testament is full of commands. The grace people, and I am a grace person. I preach grace all the time, if you know me. But sometimes I don't understand it. The New Testament has a lot of commands. He's still the king. But if you break the law, there's fear of punishment and even death. They'll kill you. Break the law, there's punishment. There's fear, there's torment. If you disobey a command, there's a loss of fellowship, but you're still a son. There's a loss of impact in terms of the Spirit of God upon you, but you're still a son. And that's up to you. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. Say, oh, we are getting out of Acts chapter 2. Friends, the Holy Spirit, I wish I could. Without him, they couldn't do what they did. It was impossible. So let's look at this. Acts 5.32 says this. Uh, actually, let's go to verse 26. What had happened was there was power in the church. Uh, a lot of power in the church. You'll see it in Acts 5.12 to 16. And they have a season. That's, actually, let's read it. Go to verse 16. Acts 5.16. It says, A multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. You know, Jesus said you will do greater works. That's the level of Christ now. You know, you see when Christ would deal with crowds, it says they were all healed. That's the first time you see it happen here, in a sense, after Christ. Cities. Let's understand, friends. Cities come. They were all healed. Imagine. 
people from all over the place, all the different cities, they come to one location because there's people there that can host God, they can host the Holy Spirit, and all are healed. So what starts to take place is that, obviously, the, the religious leaders don't like this. Religion will always shut down the Spirit, always. So that happens, they get arrested, they get put in a common prison, and then an angel comes to them and says, hey, listen, you know, let's break you out of prison. That's actually what happens. Breaks them out of prison and says, go back and stand in the temple and speak. So they go back, the prison guards come, there's no one there. Just imagine. The level of the things that were taking place, unfortunately to us, they're unrealistic in some of our minds. They're not. They should not be. It cannot be a story. It's God's intention. And so they, they go and there's no one there. So they say, oh, they're back in the temple preaching. So they go and get them. And this is verse 26. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And that when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. As they said that, Peter went, Yes, one done. Because Jesus said, Go into Jerusalem, Judea. And he's like, Thank you. I know now I can go further. So he says, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us, that man being Jesus. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to, this, to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. It's interesting. God has given the Holy Spirit to those who obey. Up until this point, it's called a gift. And again, if you come from a legalistic mindset, a religious mindset, you see, you see, we need to be perfect. We need to obey. We've got to get out of that thinking. What does he mean when he says the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey? Because his grace is full and his grace is free for you to be saved. So he says, but if you want the Holy Spirit in terms of the way they had it, it's going to require obedience. We're going to backtrack. I'm going to move fast. Can you guys put your thinking caps on? Yeah, we good? All right. Let's go back to Acts 1, chapter 8. Acts 1, chapter 8 is the, obviously the famous verse. And he says this, Jesus speaking. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. You shall receive power when he that the Holy Spirit, that's old King James, has come upon you. Upon you. He's resting on you. He's tangible upon you. And you shall receive power. To do what? To be witnesses. Right? Very simple. The word witness there actually means uh, it's a legal eyewitness. You know, they were testifying of what they had been through. It also means it's where we get our English word martyr. means to die. So what he was saying is you're going to witness to me and it might cost your life, but you will receive power. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will become witnesses. The power of the Spirit will do two primary things in a person, in a human being. It will bring you two different types of fruit. It will bring the fruit of being and the fruit of doing. The fruit of doing is the power, in a sense, through you as a vessel. 
the laying of hands, the healing, the, the whatever, the power of the Spirit, the changing of a human heart through ministry, Holy Spirit ministry. But it will also bring the fruit of being, the fruit of the Spirit. It will change your heart from the inside out. It empowers you to die to the old man. That's what it does. And you will be a witness. Yes, that's witnessing, but everything about you will represent Jesus if you walk in the Spirit. Everything about you will be a witness. Your life and your speech and your action, you will be a witness. And then he ascended and they worshipped him. Let's go to, in chapter 2, we know that happens. The Spirit of God comes. We spent a lot of time there. Peter preaches a sermon, incredible sermon. A vital church grows. And then in Acts chapter 3, we will pick it up in verse 11, a lame man is healed. A lame man from 40 years, he is healed. Now it says this, Acts 3.11, As the lame man who was healed had on, held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together into the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? That verse should stun you. By our own power, I think the King James says, by our own power or piety. The power of God that has just healed this man has not to do with me, Peter says. It's not sourced in me, and it's not because of my character. That was impossible under the law. Imagine that. Why do you look at us if this is based on me in either my morality or the power sourced in me? It's a stunning verse. It's a stunning verse. Because the Holy Spirit came because of cost Jesus Christ paid, not because of a cost you paid. And he descended upon those who believe. But then he says this, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of our fathers. So he says, this is not a different God. This is not some occultic thing. This is God. He says, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. And you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. They denied it. You know the word presence in the Hebrew means face, right? The presence of God, face. It means the same in the Greek, face. Let's go to verse 19. You'll see why that's important. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and he may send Jesus. It's helpful for us to see that one key thing in order for us to, in a sense, walk in the Spirit is that they denied Jesus in the presence of Pilate, in the face of Pilate, in the presence of men, they denied him. And here's Peter saying, the one you denied, he's actually king. And he will forgive what you did, even killing him. Those people killed Jesus. And you will sense his presence. There's a place in a person's heart where we hold very jealously onto the presence of the Lord. And we don't let the fear of man or what we feel about what man will say. Sometimes for the fear of man or the cost of the presence of the Lord upon us, because it's difficult in front of people sometimes, 
the fear of what they think, we lose the presence of the Lord. There's this jealousy, friends, that nothing will detract from his presence upon a person. It's an incredible key to walking in the Spirit. Then Peter and John get arrested. Then in Acts 4, they pray for boldness. We know the story. And actually, let's go to Acts 4, verse 13. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, and they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with him, they could say nothing. To have fresh testimonies will always defeat religion. Always. Because there's nothing they can say. It's not that you're fighting people. You're dealing with a, you know, different cultures and spirits. But when you have a man standing there who's been healed that says they can say nothing, he's there. And so there's something to do with carrying, in a sense, guarding this place of who God is and how he wants to operate and what he wants to do so that you can actually carry fresh testimonies wherever you go. Not you as a, maybe us as a church. It's not like a responsibility upon just you. But you carry fresh testimonies. You're aware of the activity and what God's doing. And it's, it was a, an incredible tool in the, in the book of Acts to tell this is what God is doing. Jesus said, tell them what you've seen, tell them what you've heard. Okay? We good? Then it says in Acts 5, there's continuing power in the church and all are healed. And actually, sorry, go back to Acts 4. It says here in Acts 4, they called them, Acts 4, 18, says they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. Not to speak and not to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and hurt. To walk in the Spirit, to, in a sense, have this place where you, you really are beginning to walk with God, it will require you to speak. To speak. At some point, you are actually going to have to speak. There's, a, there's something that's going to come out of your mouth about Jesus. To speak. And then, you go to Acts 5, they get arrested again. And then we see in verse 27, it says, When they brought them, they set them and asked them before the council, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And you're full Jerusalem, like we read, and they said, We ought to obey God rather than man, for the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. When Jesus said to them, You will receive power to be witnesses to me, but when you receive power... He said, you were going to Jerusalem, Judea, and everything. You will receive power to what? To be a witness. It might cost you your life. So they went on, and it got worse and worse and worse and worse. In Acts chapter 4, they prayed for boldness. It says, consider their threats, O Lord, but they prayed for boldness. They didn't say in the Old Testament, like David, Lord, smash their teeth in their mouth. That's what David says in Psalm. Lord, just kill them. Just kill them all, get them out of the way. Because in the New Testament, we don't fight flesh and blood. We don't. So they pray for boldness so that they can continue to do what they've been doing because the severity and the costs are going up. If you go read it, you'll see it. The cost of being a Christian is starting to increase, increase, increase. Some of the reason I focus on that is not a heavy, but it's happening in the nation. And the great thing about that is we get to carry the Holy Spirit. 
And it's going to require boldness. It's going to require for us as believers to go back again and say, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to host this person of the Holy Spirit? To understand, yes, safe, but to host it. To actually walk as a believer, as a Christian, and actually walk. Well, the great key is that you treasure the presence of the Lord regardless of the presence of who's there. Regardless. That we know that we'll have to speak at times. And only the Lord can bring some of that shifting in your heart. Only the Lord can bring, bring some of that shift in your heart. Can you go to Galatians chapter 5? Why do you think it is that they rejoiced, that they were counted worthy to suffer? Because they had done it. They got beaten, the Bible says. In the end of Galatians 5, it says they were beaten. The word beaten there means flayed. Skin was flayed. I'm not trying to be heavy. I'm trying to... It's actually quite exciting. To show you that they had told, obey. Go out and do this. They went out and did that. And because of that, they were, had to pray for boldness in the middle. That to say, God, this is getting difficult, so we can run to you because we have your presence. Lord, be with us. Show us. And the miraculous continues... The miraculous continues to happen. The presence of God in their life continues to pour out to the point where they are literally standing there and it says they were going to kill them. It's like Martin Luther. He says, here I stand, I can do no other. So then they get extremely excited when they get beaten, not because they're strange, because they were filled with joy, the Bible says, because they had such a relationship with the Holy Spirit that what's happening to them was irrelevant. They had it here in their heart. It was in their heart. They said, I would rather be no other place. I'd rather be with you, Lord. Because the Holy Spirit had begun to put values and, and his presence, that strong place of his presence in their life and in their heart. It began to shift and work in their heart. Galatians chapter 5, we can explain this. What does this mean for us? Can we make it practical? Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit... And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then he goes into the works of the flesh, and into the works of the spirit. The flesh looks like this, and the spirit looks like this, basically. And we know the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, and so forth. Why is this important? To walk in the spirit... Can I explain it to you in a very simple way? People say, well, we want to walk in the Spirit. And they think that they're going to walk in such a way that the Holy Spirit whispers into them, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And they think, well, I'm not going to do anything, and he tells me to do something. No, no, no. The commission told you, in a sense, you have a great commission. To walk in the Spirit, the Bible says that there's certain things that happen to Jesus that have to happen to us. Who's our prototype? It's not Peter, it's not Paul, Jesus. He's our example. Jesus, in Luke 1.35, it says Jesus was born of the Spirit. Therefore, you have to be born of the Spirit, which is salvation. The Bible says Jesus was baptized in water. Therefore, you need to be baptized in water. The Bible says Jesus was filled or baptized in the Spirit. Therefore, you need to be filled and baptized in the Spirit. Everything that happened to him happens to us. In Luke 3 and Luke 4, Jesus gets baptized in water. He comes out and the Spirit descends upon him. 
right? What happens? There's a voice that says, you're my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Okay? Sonship. Then it says in Luke 4, 1, and the Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted. To have the Spirit of God lead you, to have the Spirit of God begin, to, yes, there's promptings where he will tell you specific things, speak to that person or do this. That will happen. But the Spirit of God, the primary objective of the Spirit of God leading a person is leading them to put off the old man, to put off the flesh. Romans 8.14, it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons. You are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased, to Jesus. The next thing that happened, the Spirit of God led him into the desert. To defeat, in a sense, through fasting. He led him to a 40-day fast. He put the flesh down. You are sons, daughters. We'll say sons and daughters. You're sons because you're in Christ. But you are sons if you're saved. The very next thing that the Holy Spirit wants to do with you personally is to understand a little bit of what they were going through in Acts. He wants to lead you to put down the flesh, not in a legalistic way, in a way of love. He wants to lead you to put the flesh down. Why? Because you are sons, and the sons of God, like Jesus, are led by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another. They're completely opposite. The Bible says they are enmity. They're not buddies. They don't want the same thing. They want two very different things. Very different things. The Bible says in John 3, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit to spirit. So when the Spirit of God, please understand this, when the Spirit of God descended in Acts chapter 2, what started to happen? Well, they said, well, we can no longer follow the law. What do we do? You need the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit started to rest upon them, and there was miraculous and all these kind of things. And we've had miracles here. We've had things happen here. But there was a, this flow of the Spirit of God. Why? Because there were Jewish people. They understood the presence of God upon a person. They used to carry the ark into war. They used to carry the ark. There was something so valuable about his presence. They had never had access before because they were not priests or prophets. Now they suddenly have access to the very presence of God. There was no way they're going to let that go. It's been law on the earth for 1,500 years. Now they have access. Access. The curtain is ripped and open. The sacrifice, the Lamb of God slain, and the Spirit of God descends upon individuals, upon people, upon fishermen, and they begin to speak. They were not allowed to preach before. You had to be a rabbi. They begin to preach. They begin to host his presence. They begin to walk in the spirit as normal people, as individuals. But you know what it requires? Surrender and obedience. Not to earn. The Bible says you cannot qualify. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 that the Father has qualified you to be ministers of the new covenant. You don't qualify you. He qualified you. He qualified you. But you walk in the Spirit. The Spirit will continually have God's desires. Jesus said this in John 6.38, I think it is. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Yes? And then he turned to them and he said later, as the Father sent me, I sent you. I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. As the Father sent me, 
I send you. Which means what? Your will. You always have free will, right? It's very valuable to people. You have free will, but your will needs to become subject to the will of the one who lives inside you. And you begin to host a person because they differ because it's the will of the flesh and the will of the spirit. And they vastly differ, completely differ. The spirit of God, every spirit desires one thing, good and bad, one thing. I'll show it to you in Luke 11. I hope this is helping you because it's something that is very personal for people. Everyone's in a different place. Luke eleven fourteen says, And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was, when the demon had gone out, that the mute spoke. And the multitude marveled. Who was mute? The demon. He was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was, when the thing left, the man could speak. Spirits desire expression of their nature, of who they are. That is only counterfeiting. They have no... That's counterfeiting the real thing. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He desires expression of his nature. And when we submit to that and, and walk with that, you will see power begin to flow. It's not because you're earning it. It's because the power has to be of him and not of you. And so you submit to that. And you submit to it in little ways and, and he puts his finger on an issue and your will is subject to his will. Very, very important to understand. It's not something to earn. That's why Peter said, the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. He said, you want the Holy Spirit like you see that we have? Be obedient. Be subject to the will of the one who lives within you because it costs Jesus everything to make that happen. It's not legalism. It's not law. It's life. Jesus said, when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, and they're like, yes, this is awesome. He said, when he comes, he will guide you into truth because he's the spirit of truth. So what does that mean? That means when we go at it, and I'm always wrong, and that's okay. I've settled that. When we do something, the Holy Spirit will say something. Mm-mm, don't react. Don't, don't, uh, uh, don't. What happens? I'm like, and I, you have that moment <laughs> where you're like, that sounds like a good idea. But that means I have to swallow what I want to do. Okay? And so you say, yep, but she needs to know, and they don't understand, and people, they need to, and what happens? The voice grows silent. It grows silent. To be led by the Spirit is to simply recognize one thing. He's in charge, not you. He's in charge of your life. He's in charge of, submit your thoughts, the Bible says. It's not this, I'm going to get punished. It's a process because his grace is there. His love is full. People say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And, but there's, if you look at their life, it's not a, please hear my heart, it's not a judgment. But there's a longing for me to say, do you know that when the Spirit of God begins to lead you, it's not to make you better, it's to set you free because He is the Spirit of truth. And every time you, in a sense, obey that voice, it's going to lead you into truth. What does truth does? It sets at liberty. 
So every time you listen to that voice, every time something and you submit your will to his will, you become freer and freer and more free. And what happens is if you do that in the same area of your life, whether it be reaction or some, oh boy, let's not say that. I've seen with some young people in their relationships, it's like one to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. At some point, God's going to deal with that if they're going to walk to be a servant of the Lord. And when they submit that process, it's difficult the first, second, third time. But what starts to happen is that they begin free. They begin to become free on the inside. And they see like he sees in that area. They think now like he thinks in that area. They look like he looks in that area. And in that area, they have power. Because their will is subject to his will. I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. They understood that as Jewish people far more than we understand that. That's why there was such an extreme propelling. There was such an extreme speed at which the Holy Spirit, because they understood. We have access to the realm that only prophets had access to. That's what it says. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he says, the young men shall dream dreams, they shall prophesy. We have access to that realm. We'll do whatever you say, whenever you say, however you say. <laughs> and it, was, it wasn't this, oh, I'm just, you know, I better, it wasn't that. No, it was exciting. It was life. It was everything to them. It was everything. It really, really was. Because he desires to express himself. It's difficult when we are raised in a society because we want people to be free, but it's difficult when we are raised in a society that declares freedom as being built on us being free to pursue what we want versus freedom being built on the pursuit of what he wants. God desires for you to be free. So when you get saved, the Spirit of God comes alive in your heart and he begins to speak to you through the Word, through your conscience, through people when you're growing, through people that are, in a sense, you know, preaching or whatever. He begins to speak to you, begins to reveal something. He puts his finger on an issue in your life. You don't, in a sense, have to listen. But as you wade into the Spirit of God, as you wade into the river of God, there will come points when he says, if you want to go further, we're going to, let's, let's look at this. Let's look at this. Oh, I, I want you to come further. It's not a, you better change. It's, you're not free in this area. You're actually bound to think. You're still thinking like your old man. You're still being dictated to by society and culture. And I want to teach you my heart and my will. And sometimes it's a hard practical decision because we've thought like that for so long. And we're like, oh, this is so hard. It's like, but you're actually going to become free. And all you're dying to is the person you were never meant to be in the first place. And so you become freer and freer and freer. And then you look back and you see other people that are where you were five years ago. You're not better than them, but your heart longs for them. You say, oh, no, don't, no, 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 don't think like that. And you're actually walking in the Spirit. You're actually walk, walking in the Spirit. It's not just, I've had people say, well, I'll go tell that person about Jesus if I'm prompted. You were prompted. It's called the Great Commission. Okay. <laughs> You know, that's easy. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to pray about things that God told you to do. Just do them. And you will find it's very simple. It's actually also called obedience. But it's when you begin to become active with what God has called us to do, 
then the promptings will come, fast and furious. And so I've had people say, gee, how God speaks to that person, or gee, how God moves with you. There's a death there. There's a death that they've died. There's a death. Friends, resurrection is also in a person. Jesus, when he resurrected, he was alive. It wasn't raised from the dead. He was alive, and I've said this many times, but you could see the, the marks. You could see the mark of death on his body. Thomas, touch my hands, my feet, put your hand. You could see what killed him, yet he was alive. In some of your lives, there are areas of extreme pain and hurt, and you go through like a death. In that area, submitted to the Lord, you will have resurrection power. That's why some people, the Bible says, I died death, Paul said, all day, so that you may have life. I die so that you may have life. And you become a vessel. You become a channel through which God can move. Because when you touch people, it's nothing. When you pray for people, when you speak to people, it's not you. It's nothing of you. It's not like a polluted flow. And Christianity becomes real. Becomes real. You know his voice. You know his heart. You know his word. And it starts in the small things in the home. Always in the home. He deals with you and works with you so that he can work through you. Does that make sense? His greatest desire is to see all his people, I believe, to fully function in what his son paid for. Because he paid a very high price. That's his desire. So the Bible calls that walking in the spirit. Because the spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another. They don't want the same things. So I've seen a person with a gift, and I'm sorry to use Dwayne, he has a bit of an oratory gift. I've phoned him sometimes on, on Sunday morning, the one time I was throwing up, and I'm up to preach, right? Throwing up, not fun. I can't do that up here. That's not a great sermon. So I phoned him. I said, you know, and he said, no problem, I can preach. It's a gift. So all right, you just, it's no problem. And this is not about him, but that's just an example. But a gift, even gifts, have to be taken through the cross in a sense. Even gifts, you can see a person, I see young people, please, I'm not again, I love young people. We led youth for years. But I see young people that are so extremely gifted, but it's like there's a lid over them because they will not submit to authority and they will not into other people and they will not come under something. So the gifts are like, you know, when you see someone operating and God may even be moving, but there's something in your heart that goes, who knows what I'm talking about, okay? There's a death required. I've seen older people come and fumble through a message. There's no eloquence, but there's been death. And so it brings life. And yet it was at a conference, and then another man stood up, a young man, and he was eloquent, beautiful. There was just something missing. There wasn't a death. Sometimes, friends, it's worth it. It's worth it because you get him, and you walk with him, and you know him, and you hear him, and you start to think like him. That's what the Bible talks about, the mind of Christ. You start to think about stuff exactly like he thinks. You start to believe like he believes. You start to see like he sees. 
What's that called? Transformation. You're being transformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. There is always more in God. There's more. My wife said this. Can I end with a quote from my wife? Yeah, right? Everyone's like, yeah, that's probably going to be better. I don't even know if I have it, babe. I'm so sorry. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. That was awesome. I ever said that. That was awesome. She said this, something like this. She said, you know, the deeper you go with God, you don't get to drive. He gets to drive. That's a key. He gets to drive, not you. And so you will find you will come to a point where the Lord will put his finger on an issue. He's not trying to expose you. He's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to harm you. It might come through another person. And they might not do it the right way. It doesn't mean it's not him. If we can submit that to the Lord, friend, the Spirit will guide you into truth. And truth sets at liberty. And you become free. And now you can be an instrument. The Spirit of God desires expression. Let me say one more thing, just so we can help understand. People think there's a different process to operate in power or to, in a sense, have character. You know that it's the same process? The Spirit of God, try and understand it this way, the Holy Spirit upon a person, in a person, He wants expression, right? He wants to be through you. The power of God flowing through a person is still the Holy Spirit being Himself. It's still Him just being Himself. The fruits of the Spirit flowing through you, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, is the Holy Spirit expressing His nature. It's the Holy Spirit being Himself through you. When the power of God comes through the laying on of hands or healing, it's the Holy Spirit being Himself. It's all the same person. It's all the same activity. It's all Him. It's all Him. It's not you. It's all Him. And when that submission comes, it's not a harsh thing. It's a very precious, beautiful relationship that you can have with the Lord. And He so longs for you to know Him like that, because He knows when you walk with Him, you become freer 